0: Mindfulness Mode 527. Sometimes you're doing things because you feel like it's the right thing to do. But is it the right thing for you personally? Have you ever struggled thinking like, how do
1: I get where I want to go? I just seem to be wallowing around. I don't seem to be achieving my goals. I don't seem to be really moving forward. Well, we have the man right here on the podcast today that's going to help you with that. And the reason I know that is because he's got an amazing TED Talk that just Knocks it out of the park as far as explaining to you how to achieve in your life. I've got Adam Lewis Walker with me today. Hey, Adam, are you in mindfulness mode today?
0: Oh, yes, even more now. I'm loving it. Thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. I always appreciate a good physical studio. I see you've got your mindfulness mode behind you. Yeah. yeah, I'm ready. I think it's important to have, you know, build your environment, have reminders there. So, yeah, just being on this show has reminded me to be on. And in mindfulness mode.
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, your TED talk was awesome. I'm going to share with Mindful Tribe a little bit about you. You're a leadership and new media summit speaker, and you're a two times best selling author, and you have two podcasts, which is fantastic. The one one is plenty. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) The one is called Talk Accelerator, and X with an X, Talk Accelerator, and the other one is Awaken Your Alpha. And the one that's called Talk Accelerator is all about how to get a TEDx talk. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty cool thing. And uh, the other one is just lots of very awesome information. Awaken Your Alpha is tales and tactics to survive. And that's what we're all trying to
0: do is to <laughs> And survive. thrive, and thrive. <laughs> and thrive. And
1: there's your book. Yeah, Awaken Your Alpha. You've got this as a book too. So this is fantastic. So
0: what does mindfulness mean to you, Adam? Wow, great question. Mindfulness, it, the, on the most basic level, I think it's, it's, it's taking time daily to really be aware of, of your thoughts and your mental health and just looking after that and being, and being mindful of, of these things. So I, I think uh, mindfulness to me is a daily practice. Whatever that is, whether that's um, lying in the bath for twenty minutes in silence, going for a walk, um, just space to get out of the 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 hustle and bustle and the, and, the, and mentally, that doesn't mean you have to physically go somewhere. you need to have that ability and awareness to be very mindful of your thoughts and you know let them pass you know it's it's okay to feel like crap sometimes it's okay to you know feel you know, extreme joy and just embracing that. But just let these, these thoughts be there, but be aware of them and not beat yourself up. It's, it's, it's really mindfulness to me means just mental health. Um, and, but daily practices is important because everyone has good runs where you're thriving and then everyone has other runs where you're, you're, you're struggling and you're working to survive. Um, so I, yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely important and, you know, Anything anyone does, it all comes back to the mindset. You know, you you know, I, I I worked as a P teacher for a decade and a teacher for decade, a decade, a strength and conditioning coach with, you know, some elite level people. I was a mindset coach at the end of the day. It always comes back to that. It doesn't matter if you've got great information, if um, you know, if you're not in a position of influence and you're not working with people's mindset and the information is irrelevant because, you know, if you're not in the right state to um, absorb that and apply it doesn't really matter. So let's talk about
1: honesty because on your podcast or sorry, on your TEDx talk, you talked about, you know, how you can move forward and how we have to be accountable to ourselves. And sometimes it, we think we're an honest person, but maybe we're just not being honest enough with ourselves. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Because it comes back to that mindset and awareness because sometimes you're doing things because you feel like it's the right thing to do, but is it the right thing for you personally? And also, have you stopped recently in the last six months, three months, month, and assessed what what do you want to do? What's important to you? Because you can really be following certain paths and... um that are not authentic to you and you may have they may have been authentic to you when you was a child, you may have set this certain career goal when you was eighteen. Um, and you just haven't reassessed, you haven't stopped to think, actually, I'm so head down in trying to get achieve this goal, assuming this will give me happiness and fulfillment that you haven't reassessed and you may be ten years older, you may be twenty years older, and you're like, actually. I'd never stop to think, "Why am I doing this?" And what if I do achieve this certain goal, you may have set yourself or um, marker that you assume you're going to be happy when you reach it, when the reality is the, what takes what it takes to get there is making you unhappy, or even achieving that certain thing in reality is not going to make you happy, so it, it's, it's really important to. Pay attention to what fires you up and what doesn't feel like work. Yes, there's things you will need to do. And um, you know, it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but it's important to acknowledge that if it's always a struggle, there's something wrong. It shouldn't always be a struggle. Speaking to you today is not a struggle. Speaking to who I was speaking to before is not a struggle, and so. It's really important to be honest with yourself and, and define what success, fulfillment, and the alpha is to you. Um, because, you know, I mean, example, I'm from just south of London and a big suck from there is everyone gets pulled into London for the money. Let's be honest. There's nothing else. Why else would you go in? Because once you go in, even though I'm reasonably close, you're committing to, you know, 14-hour days you're committing to sacrificing a lot of free time and health and to me personally, to someone else, they love it because they get a lot of money, but then they're, you know, money, rich, time, poor, I would say I've never been time poor. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't really class myself as rich ever either, but I'm very rich in terms of fulfillment, happiness, and freedom. And, um, that's, and it's, it's, Again, there's no right or wrong, but it's important to be authentic to you and be able to not have that comparison and envy of others who are, you know, you say, oh, I'd love their, their cash or I'd love that job. Well, would you? Would you really? And a lot of times it's no. You like the highlight reel. You like the thought of that. But then when you're like, okay, what would you be doing today? How what would you be doing for your week? What would you be doing for your month? It's like, a, I like public speaking, but a professional speaker if you I was only that or only did that, that's a lot of traveling. I love to travel, but I don't want to be traveling all the time and away from my family. So yeah. it's one piece of what I do and it's very tactical. And uh, midweek stuff is a lot more appealing to me than weekend stuff because barring the coronavirus, everyone's at school in the week generally. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: And you wanted to move to the US and that was one of your big goals. And you talked about that in your your TEDx talk. And so why was that one of your big goals and how did you go about actually making that happen? Cause that must've been a really big move. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: uh, it comes back to what we said. I, I, I do believe setting these, these big, you know, markers and goals and things, um, something to, you know, a mission to move towards. And, and that was one of mine. And, but also that I'd run it through the same filter. It sounds to me cool. I was like, yeah, I'd like to move to America. What does that actually look like? What is the reality of doing that? And then specifically at this point, what uh, the bigger reality is uh, that I lent then towards moving to the wilderness, the middle of nowhere, which is not such a big transition to go from England to America, but it is a big transition to go from kind of urban, lots of people, to middle of the no middle of nowhere wilderness. That is the biggest transition. So, um, I the power of a deadline was huge in that mission. I set, um, And that only became realistic and real when my first son was born and we were, had a conversation. We talked about this, me and my wife, and we agreed on a deadline of we will be in the States before he starts school. So basically it gave us five years. And we enrolled him in both an English school and an American school because it got that close. We landed like September the 1st yeah. and he started school next week in the US. He still had his place in an English school. And the comparison... He would have been one of thirty-three in his class in England, and they actually—this was—I this was like my wife, and we're both teachers, and my wife actually um, was like a school coordinator, so went into the actual school he would have been enrolled in. They did this open concept, where several times of the day they opened up the walls between three classes, and he would have been in one of ninety-plus children in this melee. Of And there was probably nine to 10 different languages other than English. And he is quite a, you know, a quiet, thoughtful little lad. He would have been lost in the, the carnage with teachers. You know, the, 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 the ones in the middle get lost because you're, you're spending a lot of your time with the, let's not mess around, the naughty ones. The ones who are, you know, are challenging the organizational and the discipline aspects because you have to. And then also the ones who are really pushing the boundaries and, and challenging you in terms of learning that you need to give them extra, extra, extra. If you're in the middle, it, especially in a large group, it's you get lost. So that was the comparison. He landed here. He was one of 18, and in a small school in a you know, and for in, an English person, that's like a private school. You pay you know three, four thousand pounds a month or no, a term in England for that sort of thing. So it, it's just lifestyle choices and. Um, for many people I know it would be a nightmare to be where I am because of where it is and the, the sacrifices. Right. Don't you live in Michigan? That don't you life. live in Michigan? Yep, northern yeah. Michigan. Yeah, so you um, must I, love the outdoors then. Is that right, Adam? I do. I do. Yeah. And I don't take it for granted a lot of people in this who've grown up in this area, which is a lot of people because yeah. <laughs> not so many people move to where yeah. I am. Um, you know, the lake is there. It's always been there for me. I see it every day. Uh, I make a part of my routine is to see it every day. I, I just absolutely love it. And, the, and again, it, it, would, it would be insane for me to complain about the lack of people if then I'm absolutely loving the wilderness and the space and the, the views. You can't have one without right, the other. No. You know, it's, and, you know, so it's part of the reason that a podcast was so attractive to me. Right. You talk about, you know, my, my um, you know, setting these big goals. And then reverse engineering it. What are the steps to get there? Podcasts fitted perfectly for me in terms of moving to the middle of nowhere. Right. And so um, tell and me not, more not about your straight. morning
1: routines. What else do you do in your daily routines that really makes life okay. work for you?
0: And they are a little bit um, altered at this moment because of the coronavirus, but right. um, I still have my routines. So my normal routine, I have um, seven till eight basically or well, seven to seven forty-five um, is family time in the mornings. So um, I sometimes, I'm not a 5 a.m. riser or 4.30 a.m. guys. I'm, I've got no problem with that. But again, linked to what I've been saying, work out what works for you. You know, I'm happy, I experiment with everything. I prefer to get up 6 till 7 at some point. I don't set an alarm. I, some mornings and some periods I wake up 6 a.m. because I'm just crazily excited to crack on with stuff, which is also a good sign. Yeah. Um, and I just roll with that. If I get an extra hour's sleep, I roll with that because I understand that is going to probably serve me a lot better than, uh, you know, doing that extra bit of work. So six till seven is kind of flexible. That would be um, not meetings, that again, because of the, the global nature of stuff, you can do that. And I have done that before, but that would be um, writing my book or books or books that are coming and, and that kind of creative space. Um, in there. And again, it's very open and free flow. And if I don't want to do it, I don't do it. If I do have that urge, I do it. So, But 7 till 7.45 is family. I organize all the breakfast and coffees for my wife and me. And uh, I do the school run every day. That It's awesome. They start so early here. Not so good for them, but brilliant in terms of my routine. So I yeah. drop them off about 7.45. I then, as I spoke about, I have my coffee with me. I make the best coffee in town. Again, being in a small town, they don't have good coffee or good coffee shops. So I'm the, I'm the place to come. I take my coffee. I, I love my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I take that and um, I then turn from the school and I just go down the road. Um, you can see the lake from everywhere in our town. But I go down, park up on the beach, facing. It feels like I'm in the water. And then I have my coffee and I do my daily read. that's huge in terms of people focus a lot on what they should do, what they put into their bodies in terms of nutrition and then movement. But what you put into your mind daily and part of that in terms of mindfulness is the right book or the right pages, whatever that may be for you. Um, Some people read the Bible daily. Some people read like my wife reads the daily word, a little thing that gets sent to her that her mum's done for years. Um, I read Certain books, um, you know, along the a- Awaken Your Alpha vibe um, in that kind of content. And I, I can tell you my favorite, some of my favorite books if we go down that route. But um, uh, for the last year or two, uh, I'm very much into the Stoicism as well. And so, you know, stuff like um, Obstacle is the Way is a good book. And I didn't read that till after my, um, I wrote my book and put it out there because I felt like it might have that kind of vibe. And I'm so glad I didn't read it till after because there's some huge similarities and that would have been ah. really, really tough to like write my book after reading that. And what um, was the name of that book again? The Obstacle is the Way, Ryan oh. Holiday. Okay, yes, Ryan Holiday. a very, very stoic theme. And then uh, one I really like, I prefer this book actually um, in terms of mindfulness routines and modes, um, The Daily Stoic. I talk, it links massively into me talking about, you know, a daily practice. Well, I remember, was it late 2017? I was back in England, a very depressing time of the, <laughs> to be in England, December. And in December in England is just, I'm coming from white, beautiful snow and sunny to just rain and dreary. And um, it's so dark and damp at that time of year in England. And I used to struggle with that when I lived there, but I really noticed it coming back. And I was a, a very critical time in terms of the book writing and just feeling overwhelmed in some ways. And I was in a coffee-stroke bookshop in uh, my hometown in England, and I—I I usually do. I stumbled across um, the Daily Stoic. It mm-hmm. hadn't been out that long, and I got that book, and it just got me. And I think around that time, I may have dropped off, you know, my daily reads, mm-hmm. you know, for traveling or different reasons and i i, I sort of read that and i had the discipline to read that over the year not in, you know in a month as it's it's designed to read you know literally a page a day it's literally got the dates throughout the year um, and it's a, a stoic quote and just a simple take on it so and then you've got that then you fill in the blanks you then have kind of like your daily thought and it just gives you that perspective and that was a, a beautiful year and it's so much so that i i almost just rolled it into the next year and started rereading it it wasn't as valuable the second time, like anything you need to, um, it's like washing, you know, you need to do it every day and yeah. same for motivation, you know, you'll wear out the cloth. You need to have these different sources of inspiration, motivation. So that was a, a really good book. And, you know, Awaken Your Alpha, I've been told by many people is a really, um, good book and very actionable. And, and it's not just all me, it's, uh, you know, taking the best of the best from, you know, the podcast, which is almost six years. And not just randomly, specifically, why are they there and what can we learn from them? And then, again, 33 actions all the way through the book of how can you apply this to your own situation and move forwards and do something with it.
1: Well, speaking of Awaken Your Alpha, I want to talk to you about that. What does that really mean to you? How, As men, how can we awaken our alpha? Or is it for women
0: too? Yeah, it's um, the concept of Awaken Your Alpha is definitely... Universal, there's no like sex, gender, um, age. It's, it's more of a, it's well, perfect for this. It's a mindset, it definitely is an approach to life. The men's podcast, but the podcast is obviously one, um, format of it and one way to deliver it. And so, like, if you try and speak to everyone, you speak to no one. So, that is a men's, um, podcast as a men's development podcast. But I know the listeners are, you know, very universal in terms of awaken your alpha. When I did the TEDx talk, it made me dig deeper and think about. What exactly is it? And, you know, for me, it meant something. But to most people, the word alpha has a lot of negative connotations around it. And it has a bit of a stigma in, um, you know, in the media as well. So I started my, my talk kind of defining Awaken Your Alpha and specifically going from what are the actual definitions of alpha. And from the solar system, Alpha centauri, that means star that shines the brightest. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. From the animal kingdom, it says to achieve the highest rank in a dominance hierarchy, and it gives the example of the alpha female in the elephant pack, for example. So no mention of you know male, for example, and right. it's particularly it's that's that's the definition. So awaken your alpha, and my interpretation is to achieve the highest rank in areas of your life that you hold important to you, and that's not something to be judged by others. So that's really that that personal fulfilment and that awareness aspect of it, and then. To shine as bright as you can with your time here. And that's really, you know, the, the star that shines the brightest. And that's not to put others into your shadow, but to illuminate. And that just sums it up for me um, reasonably quick. And I, and I wouldn't have been able to do that without going through the process of a TEDx talk. And doing that in 2016 really forced me in a nice way to boil it down to what is it, what is it all about? And so I came down to awareness, action, and ascension. You know, if you could ask me, to talk about awaken your alpha and how to do it, and you gave me 60 seconds or five minutes, they're the three things I'd focus on because that's what it is. Um, and then that was an 18 minute talk. And I've also since done that version of that talk probably 50 times, mm-hmm. um, right up to a 75 minute keynote. And it felt like five minutes because, you know, I know what's important, but you can. You can lengthen it or shorten it. Right, you can have sure, examples. Sure. You can put exercises in. You can put stories in it. You can tailor it to different audiences. Um, I, when I did that 75-minute keynote, it was the 100th anniversary of um, the end of World War I, I think. Uh-huh. Or it was some huge anniversary. It just happened yeah. to land on that Sunday. Um, so one of the gentlemen in my book and was a bomb disposal expert. He's um, you know, 10 years younger than me, and unfortunately, he's passed away now. Um, But very authentically, Mm -hmm. that came, I hadn't planned till the day I was talking about various Awaken Your Alpha concepts and it just hit me. That's what I needed to talk about. And that was the example I spoke about his time in, you know, in in war zones. And um, when I was talking around mission, he was very mission driven and coming out of the military when he felt lost as a, as a person was lack of mission and clarity and, um, and his approach to fear and taking on, you know, the, the most dangerous job pretty much on the planet. And why would you do that? And, and he actively sought that out. It didn't find him. He went for it. Um, so, and that, you know, that was something that just was very relevant to talk about at that time.
1: Mm-hmm. That's pretty fascinating. You know, you seem like a very upbeat, grounded, mindful, focused kind of man, but you've had your struggles. And I know oh. one of them was when you had that, that mishap and you ended up feeling depressed and everything. Tell Mindful Tribe a little bit about what happened and how you felt and then how you pulled yourself out of it.
0: Yeah. So, up until um, my mission for a long time was uh, in terms of lifestyle in general was to um, be very, very active. I was a PE teacher for almost 10 years um, in some various shapes and forms. And um, that fit really well for me in terms of my lifestyle because I was looking to excel in my pole vault in track and field and, and get to the Olympics. And that was definitely a stretch goal. You know, people who knew me think, "Would you get to the Olympics? Well, who knows? But I was really trying hard and I, was, I would got to a point where I was, I was doing pretty well And, um, you know, the, the teacher's job, they're off in the summer, which is when the track and field season's high. So I could, Mm. it it supported my lifestyle and what I was, um, looking to achieve. So I was 28 years old and I got into, I'd had injuries, tore my groin at 21. I hadn't had a personal best for uh, like six years. Um, but I got back and managed to get injury free, had a few minor operations, nothing crazy. And 28, I was having the best season of my um, life. I would got new personal best for the first time in a long time, um, and I managed to get into some of the top competitions in um, the UK and internationally. I managed to do some internationally vaulting and competing, and I was loving it. You know, I was—I felt like um, it was my first really competing as a man, as opposed to you know a, a young man or a, you know a junior, and. Right. Um, it was the UK challenge final in this was kind of like the culmination of the season. I, I, I have Irish roots as well. I, I so I've been competing in the Irish championships, um, came third, should have won it, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was very close. Um, and I had aspirations of getting the Irish record, which was, uh, my brother actually got it and held it for a little bit. He's better at pole vault than me. He'd be happy to hear me say, um, and yeah, so I got into this UK challenge final, UK summertime, literally right in August and, and horizontal rain. It was awful conditions. Pole vaulting is, is dangerous. Um, at the top level, I feel it's not as dangerous because people know what they're doing. Mm. Um, but in this scenario, in the conditions, the run up where you, you know, run on wasn't draining. It was a big puddle. Um, it was very dangerous and we all, pole vaulters got together and said to the organizers, can we move inside? No one's, get, I mean, you know, someone's going to get injured. And they had the facilities to do that. That actually emailed us before saying if conditions aren't good enough, we're going to move inside. For some reason, they said, no, we we'll are make that decision. We're going to continue outside. And I, I, I know it's because the pole vault, and it was a big competition, is right in front of the stands. In the crowd it's a good thing to watch. And also, if it's moved indoors, it's not. It's, it's behind closed doors, basically. There's no room for the crowd in there. So that's my thoughts on that. Um, So then it became a real mindset competition, basically. And and what are you willing to sacrifice and not willing to sacrifice? And because I felt like the underdog in this competition, I'd done very well to get into it It as the top 10 in the UK. I thought to make the best of the situation, it really leveled the playing field because in perfect conditions, the best vaulters with the best heights are going to win in the reality of life. And this environment it was not going to be the, the best physical bowler who was going to win. It was going to be the one who handled the conditions and also the mental side of the risk mm-hmm. um, and self-preservation. So I went very um, very tunnel vision on this, and I was focused on the, doing the best and doing well and blocked out the danger outside of it to the fact that I was taking off. The majority of voters were running through because it was very dangerous. Um, your hands were slipping on the pole. We literally had umbrellas over us. And our, you know, when you landed on the mat, if you'd managed to keep reasonably dry, which you hadn't, it was like landing in a swimming pool. You were soaked. Wow. wow. Um, so, it, And as the competition went on, you know, your, your towels that you're dry, drying stuff, they're soaked. Your pole's soaked. It's just you, you, when you're running in to put these forces on the pole and jump, and your hands are slippery and the pole's wet, it's, it's, it doesn't fill you with confidence. So no. the nature of a pole vault competition is the bar gets higher, it's elimination, so you, you're getting down to it. eventually. There's only one person left, they win. Um, so 10 volters, I think one off the bat pulled out because they were sensible and said, this is not worth it, someone's going to get injured. We'd all agreed on that. Um, and then um, I think a few, you call it no high in, where you know you don't even clear your opening height because either you... You can't get off the ground or you just knock it off three times. And that happens more because of the conditions. Um, so I clear a height, which puts you in good shape already. Um, so by, in theory, then I'm probably in like the... You clear a height, you're probably in about the top seven in the, in the UK mm. <laughs> in these conditions. Um, I clear another height. I'm handling the conditions well. Um, again, family members who've never seen me vault, like extended family, have come to this competition. Um, saying, isn't this super dangerous? And I'm like, no, it's fine. This is possible." <laughs> yeah. And then um, it gets down to the last four. So there's only four of us there. Um, I'm thinking of the medal. I, I really, obviously, I was, I was thinking of doing well initially, and I obviously, I want to do as well as I can. Uh, fourth place, you're one place away from a medal, and in, in the athletics world, fourth is nothing. Fourth no. is useless like third actually means something you know a lot of sports it's like win or lose but right. athletes you know their medals like a, a bronze medal at the olympics or any sort of level that means something so mm-hmm. and fourth generally doesn't <laughs> yeah. in the mindset yeah, yeah. of things so yeah. i kind of got to the end of what i could achieve on that pole in them conditions um and but i knew i needed one more height like one more height would basically be a medal guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And it could even be a gold medal because of the nothing was guaranteed. Like every height you clear it, you're kind of in gold medal position until someone clears higher and people were not clearing stuff because it was just so random and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so another volter, you know, once vaulters had run through and not taken off, their mindset was, was gone because you run through once. And even in good conditions, it's hard to, your foot was either wrong or you didn't get off the ground, it's hard to get back on it In you've only got two attempts left. In these conditions, once a bottle ran through, um, they generally didn't take off again, was what was happening in front of us. So the new height, I got a bigger pole, the sort of pole I only used in really good conditions, and these were not. um, And I needed the good conditions to take off with a higher hand grip and get in. Because if you take off with too big a pole and too high a hand grip, And you don't get any physics. You literally go like that and come back down on the run-up or fall in the box, which is really dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if you go for the bar, because then you kind of you naturally you're coming down on your back, and people have been paralysed and people have you know been killed where they've landed on their head and different things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not as common as you might think, but people do die every year from pole vault. Um, So I um, I ran down. I ran a little bit harder. I got too close, and so I'm trying to take off, but that self-preservation kicked in and I, I ran through and I was frustrated. And I heard someone from the crowd shout. Well, it felt like a shout because they're so close. He's done. He won't take off again.
1: Mm.
0: And I remember walking back and I was, especially at this time, I was a more of a negative self-talk. My mm-hmm. coach was more of a negative kind of coach. He didn't encourage so much as, um, if you've got like, that's, that's, that's okay. That's like, that's brilliant kind of coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very negative self taught, which I, I, I've since dealt with and changed because I, I would be on the run up, literally talking to my pole and being quite abusive to myself. Let's be honest, mm. it's not the best. Um, and so I walked back, just remember thinking, I'm going to take off no matter what. Like, I'll prove him wrong. I'm going to take off no matter what. And it really was um, no matter what. And it, 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 you know, I lost perspective. So I ran in I got too close again. I could feel it natural instinct to pull out and not, you know, not take off or try to take off. Um, I overrode that and I, 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 tried to take off, but I was close. It was in a puddle. My heel hit the ground, which has no grip in mm-hmm. spikes. It's obviously spikes all on the toe, which is what you should be running on. But I got mm-hmm. too close. My heel came down first. And as I went to take off, I obviously blocked that foot as you go to jump and it slipped. And I dislocated, um, my patella, my knee, tore the ACL ripped all the meniscus cartilage off the end of the bones and uh, bruised the bone ends from the impact. And it was like someone had took my leg um, and just snapped it the wrong way. Oh, it just felt like, you know, I didn't even know if it was going to be attached. It was the most painful thing by far that's ever happened to me. And I, I felt like Mr. T I remember thinking I wanted to just be knocked out because I, I couldn't stop screaming. And I remember it was out of body. I wish it was more out of body, but, um, I was trying to shut up because I, I, it's in front of the whole stand and there's family there. And I just thought they're going to be worried. But I just couldn't stop screaming. And I'm not particularly a screamer, but it was just agony. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, it was horrible. I didn't land on my head thinking of good things. But I, I remember just the first time being reluctant to look down at my leg because I thought it was, I honestly thought it was going to be like a, an open fracture or just mm. your blood everywhere. You see these things and. Right in sports sometimes, but it was, it was all, um, no blood, thank goodness. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, that changed everything.
1: Wow. And then, it, and then it took you nearly two years to recover from it, didn't it? Yep.
0: yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. it was, and, and that's just not mentally. That was literally almost two years of operations because and did, did you sink into depression at that time? Yeah. And it took about a year to really get rock bottom. Um, I was massively in denial for a long time and like you said, I'm up B. i am up I was still upbeat. I tried, you know, I, I tried to tackle this challenge as best I could, but, um, it, it slowly chipped away at me, you know, after, yeah. you know, after they, you think you're moving forwards and then it's like the cartilage hasn't really repaired that they tried to sew it. Like they said, it was like sewing wet spaghetti together and it, oh, wow. it didn't, it retore. And this is me doing all the right stuff. Um, so that for going and remove it again, you're back to square one. It was prehab before the operations, which is a big delay as well. And you, you, you're not recovering until these things aren't going to get better until they've had that operation. So this is, you're kind of stagnant. And then you, you, know, you have that operation, you're back to square one, rehabbing, rehabbing. You're, you know, you're really doing your best. And then it's not worked. You've got to go back to square one and back to square one. And um, I just quit my teaching job um, for that, that summer. So as that summer when this happened, I was had a, a, you know, Sports Speed Academy, a youth strength and conditioning business Mm -hmm. that I'd been building on the side, which was uh, relied on me being very active. I did have outside coaches working for me, Mm -hmm. but when it all hit the fan, you know, a good coach is hard to find. It really showed up and it was getting an added level of stress that before the quality of the company, you know, in terms of fulfillment and coaches letting me down and things happening, I just refunded everyone and said, you know, this is, I want to pause this for now. And the reality is it never came back. I want to pause this for now because, you know, I've got to deal with other things and I don't want the quality, the way yeah. I can see certain things going. So it meant if, if, if I hadn't have quit my teaching job, I would have pretty much been fully paid or at least, you oh, know, looked yeah. yeah. after for a couple of years whilst I was, um, recovering because, you know, I was on crutches off and on for, you know, a good couple of years and wow. I'd never had, I never, I was the sort of dude who never had any sick days because I'm generally right, healthy. Right. So the, the, the steady wage never appealed to me. I had it all that time and it was boring to me. Right. So I'm like, well, if I'm never having days off, I might as well work for myself. And then this yeah. happened and it was just a nightmare. Wow. And it, it, was, wow. it was an added level of what really kicked me when I was down type thing. And um, wow. yeah, it was about a year. Year in was when I would officially say and admit it to myself, I was depressed. Adam, I always
1: ask a question about bullying on my show because I've worked in bullying prevention for over 10 years. Do you have a story? Were you ever bullied? Were you ever a bully to other people? Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference?
0: Yeah, and no one has ever asked this. So thank you for asking this because you know this is all fresh stuff for me. And I don't think, I've never told anyone about this and I've never really spoken about it. But I was a very little guy In terms of in school, I was, I had a, thank goodness, I had a growth spurt. You wouldn't think that now because I'm like normal height, but I had a growth spurt to get to this normal height. So in what would be like, not high school here, so about 11, 12 years old, I was the smallest guy around by far. I mean, like a head below everyone. I've got like a photo of a sports team and I was a head below the shortest guy who is now like, I know that guy is like to my shoulder. So, um, Linked to that, and even later, I to put it there I, clearly, I was not a bully. I was not some little ninja. I, I I was I was little, and um, I was into my sports, and I was compared to now, I was pretty quiet. Uh-huh. You know, I I kind of I would have been that not middle of the road kid, but I was because uh, I did well in certain subjects. but I was never any trouble for any teachers. You know, I was just I was just um, you know the sort of person who's a potential um, would attract potentially bullies because you'd think it could be an easy target. Maybe, interestingly, I don't remember or particularly having any bully experiences when I was little, little. Right. When I started to, and I wasn't big, but when I started to grow a little bit, so probably they noticed me more, and I was did very well in sports. I had I, like we talked about the pole vault. So for that age, and I was used to do gymnastics when I was young. So I was in good shape. Like I I was muscly when I was young, and I I can remember, and they probably don't even notice this or or recognise this. I can remember a period where, because of my physical sort of build, plus the fact I was reasonably quiet, I didn't swear. I can remember being taken the like kids taking the Mickey out of me for not swearing and trying to get me to swear right. as like a game. And again, I suppose I had my mindset there. I didn't do it. So that's one good thing because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to look back on that. And think I think, you know, I just like, that was against the trend. Like it was uncool not to swear, especially when I could have just sworn just to get them off my back and then not had to swear again, if you know what I mean. Yeah, just done I do. It. But I, I didn't do that. I just stuck my guns, which caused this cycle to go on, which was definitely a psychological kind of, Definitely, it really got to me. But linked to that, I remember because again, especially back then, so much of what you'd call bullying now was banter or just being a lad. But this was definitely physical, and I remember it hurting. And I remember that the aspect of it was its relentless nature, and that it went on regular as clockwork. Which meant I was always anxious about it and trying to avoid scenarios when I knew it would happen. One or two, particularly one guy, would always come up to me and punch me in the arm, right? Yeah, Literally, you know, like dead end, dead dead arm type game. Yeah, um, I didn't punch back, which, looking back now, was was a um, I would say a mistake. But again, I it, I'm I'm quiet. So number one, I'm thinking, you know, as a lot of people doing this mode, keep your head down, don't make a big deal out of it, and it will go away. We'll Guess what? It seems obvious now. It didn't go away, right? And again, when you get punched in the same spot on your arm every day, more than once a day, yeah. that really starts to hurt. Yeah, I guess. And and again, when you're not getting punched in the arm, you're thinking, "Am I going to get punched in the arm?" So I can remember, and I, I I know the person. I know who the person is now. And I I they will not. I would put money on they won't even remember this, right? Because it's not a big deal to them. And I think that's an important note on it because. I didn't want to make a big deal out of it because I just wanted it to go away. And I felt like if I'd have made a big deal out of it, you know, then it becomes it's almost like, you know, being a grass or a snitch or, you know, oh, it was just a bit of fun. I didn't know. And this is important. I tell my son now that person probably didn't know, you know, that that maybe they're properly bullying someone. And this is just them being friendly in their mind. But it was because I was seen as a little bit, you know, I had a bit of muscle there to take that hit but um so maybe they're thinking it doesn't hurt and yeah and also as i become bigger and then i do grow a little bit and for that age you know i was i was the same sort of and maybe that's why i hit the gym a lot especially when i got to 14 16 i was the same physical build i am now when i was about 16 and on the surface you know you would think oh i i look like a tough guy but the reality is um Especially as then to eighteen, I kept putting on muscle till I was eighteen, and I was, you know, way bigger then. Maybe that's linked to why I was doing it for self defense. But um, I would attract a different kind of bully because of the physical nature of me. People would come and challenge you, um, and yeah, I, I, I'd learned by that point that stuff doesn't go away unless you, um, you know, make a stand, even physically. So. I had less trouble then, but it was when I was younger and smaller and I didn't get, because I hadn't had the experience of this going on for a good year or two, that it's not going to go away. And it's it's a lot better to just, okay, even if you get your ass kicked, that's going to happen once, make your stand. And then, you know, I'm all about yes or no now. I don't like these maybes or these open loops. And that's, I feel like what bullying is a lot of times. It's just that unknown um, thing that's floating around and, Generally, the people who are getting bullied are hoping it goes away and trying to just keep it quiet. And it doesn't unless someone says something. And that, I, I feel really strongly about that. And this is the first time I've spoke about it. So thank you. Yeah, well,
1: thanks for telling us that story. I appreciate it. As we move forward in the interview, Adam, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And so just 30 second answers are perfect. First one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life?
0: Seneca. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go old school. I was gonna say stoicism. That's too broad. I love. I love quotes in general. I've always I, they inspire me. But the stoic quotes, and then getting even smaller than that. If I had to say one, Seneca has got some beautiful stuff in terms of mindfulness. And you know, he's an old guy. He's long gone, but yeah, yeah, huge in terms of my mind. Awesome. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Yeah, playing off the back of that. I used to be way more up and down. I still get very excited, but you know, I'm more aware now. I used to have, you know, if I was really up up, I you know, and people knew that I was going to come down down down. So mindfulness has affected me more on, on an even keel now. So and it's not just about being stoic and no emotion and, you know, just being like <laughs> you're in a western and just nothing gets you excited or sad, but I'm aware through personal experience as well, adversity happens to us all. um, So it's not a shock when it happens and just, you know, it will pass and just I'm very consistent and in this for the long haul, I hope. How is breathing part of your mindfulness practice? So part of the thing I didn't mention in my routine, because we went off on another tangent, right? but um, another way in part of my routine, when I'm not working out at home, I like to walk to the gym, which is about a 10 minute walk Uh and, you know, Americans like to drive everywhere. People always think, why am I walking everywhere? But I'm a big believer in, you know, the um, move and breathe. So I literally I'm counting my steps. And it's not counting like that, it's more my breath. So I do four short breaths, breathe <laughs> breaths, even yeah. In all my steps, like hey, it's it's not rocket science, but that try that and it's Breathing in through your nose, and if you're in a cold temperature, I go out in like minus minus temperatures. Mm-hmm. There's no excuses, mm-hmm. and it does hurt your nose if it's that cold. Yeah. And then breathing out, of four short breaths, and I do it in time with my steps. There are levels, and sometimes you know you can you can have like a little like mental chant of what you're saying, repeating as you step. You know, there's versions of, you know like you know stronger, stronger every day, whatever you want. You know. Um, <laughs> Gonna buy a big car. I've never said that one because that doesn't matter. I'm just giving it, you know, whatever floats your boat and make it individual to you. Um, But that, that 10 minute, and what I find with that breathing, I know it's a long answer, sorry. What I find with that breathing is in terms of mindfulness, you zone out. And the movement for me, it is, you know, I call it like my Zen tunnel. It's a specific road. Once I turn into that road, it's straight and I breathe as I walk down there. And I cannot remember getting from one end to the next. And I love it.
1: So Adam, I want to ask you about a book, but you've already mentioned The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. So I'll put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. But as we move forward, Adam, I want to ask you, uh, is there an app that you would recommend that can help with mindfulness in any way?
0: Good question. I'm going to go with, because it's the only one I've really used consistently, I mean, I, I've had Calm on my phone and different things like that. I've never used them consistently. I do think they're good and cool and all that sort of stuff. But what I'm going to go for Pomodoro. Pomodoros and Pomodoro. And there's many apps that are like the Pomodoro app. And you don't even need the Pomodoro app. But um, Focus Planner, I think, is one of Focus Keeper, that sort of stuff. They're really good app. And in terms of mindfulness and um, productivity and being very focused, uh, and mindful of the task you're doing, and not allowing distractions. So a Pomodoro, for those who are not um, aware, I put it in the book as well. Very effective tool. Pomodoro, the, you know, the word for tomato, and it comes from the person who kind of really, kind of really pioneered this. Had a little um, kitchen timer that was a tomato, that, you know, click, and it ticks round to like 30 minutes or 25 minutes. Uh, generally, it's 25 minutes. You can adjust it to longer, which I like or shorter, which I like in terms of what works best for you, play around with that, then you know, for this and for me, 25 is generally where I hit 25 and five minutes a break. So it makes you think, actually, what am I actually doing? And you know, not get sucked into all the distractions of modern life. So be like, okay, I'm dedicating 25 minutes, a Pomodoro to admin at the start of the day, nothing more, nothing less. And how many books have you written, Adam? (laughs) My first book was a co-authored book, The New Rules of Success, so that one in 2013, and that was the kind of the origins, the um, kind of idea for Awaken Your for the book and the podcast. And also I was very unsatisfied with being in a co-authored book. I got too much of a big gob. I want to say my thing and have a book that I'm giving to people about what I'm all about and everything I believe in, not just one little bit and, you know, not have control about other authors and yeah, what they've yeah. done So yeah, I, I, that, was actually a, that was actually a book called Fit Kid, Fat Kid, mm-hmm. a full book I'd written. And then I cut it all the way down to a single chapter. Uh. Um, but it was efficient to get it out. But, you know, and I, I don't regret that decision because it opened a lot of doors. I became a best-selling author, technically, but I was in a co-authored book. So I was not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So I knew, I, I, this, I was very clear that I wanted to do my own book. So Awakening Your Alpha is the first solo published book um, with Rethink Press out of the UK. And it it took me four years. So the idea was I wanted to write the book, but I wasn't going to sit there um, researching for four years Mm -hmm. just. So the podcast and the book, the idea was at the same time, So the Waking Around for Podcast was always a research tool for the book. And I'm writing... My second book, which is based on fear, which is one small chapter in Awaken Your Alpha, because it's a very holistic mm-hmm. uh, book. And, you know, it's brilliant for that. It's a nightmare to write that because it's, it's, it's a lot of moving parts. And that was the challenge. Whereas now I'm so happy to dig into one core area and go deep. Where can we find more about you, Adam? What's,
1: what's the best place to find you?
0: Instagram is always a good one and that can lead to everything. You know, Adam Lewis Walker. Um, I'm pretty active on there, especially in the stories. You know, that's all the behind the scenes stuff. We did a Facebook live of some of this interview um, and it's just daily daily life. And then obviously the the classic shares on there. And that links to my Instagram for Awaken Your Hour, Instagram for Talk Accelerator, um, sort of smaller, not my main site. Um, and then yeah, talkaccelerator.com. If you're interested in getting a TEDx talk, there's a podcast that really digs into that deep and niches down. And also I offer idea clarity calls for that. I have selected spots open every week to you can literally tell me what you think your idea is worth sharing and I can give you my insights on how you could get that onto a TEDx stage. Um, and then the Awaken Your Alpha, ayalpha.com forward slash book, because I am, you know, an aspiring full time author. I see at some stage I'm just going to be in my little log cabin writing books. Mm-hmm. So you love <laughs> so, writing. You love writing. Yes, I do love it. It's a, it's yeah. a love hate because I know it, it's painful in, in some aspects, but I, I like that challenge mm-hmm. and the relentless nature and anyone writing a book, it's very interesting to see the resistance grow as you get closer to putting it out. And that's why so many people don't and why so many people actually write 80, 90% of a book or even hundred percent and don't put it out because I experienced it too. That when it got closer, there was all these things and let's they're not individual to you. You know, oh, I didn't put it out because of this happened and that's you know that hasn't happened to other people. Everyone's had every problem on the planet and especially when you're going to put something like that out, all the things that you think, oh, I'm not putting it out because of this, this, and this. This is exceptional circumstances. They're not. It's just resistance growing and it's this last chance to kick your ass and stop you putting out what you know you need to do. So just, you know, get it out. It won't be perfect. Nothing is but it's best to get it out and then you can always adapt and adjust. And it is is—it is what it is for that time. It's the best you could do.
1: That's good advice, Adam. It really is. Well, it's been really great to talk to you, to hear your words of advice. And, uh, you know, if you if you want to learn more from Adam, you know, jump on that TED Talk as
0: well. Awaken Your Alpha is the name of the TED Talk. Please do, yeah. If you put in Adam Lewis Walker, Awaken Your Alpha, I think it's the first hit that yeah, comes up. I think so. More than anything for me. Is the awaken your alpha? And as I said, it's if you like that talk or aspects of that talk, you will love the book because the book is, you know, that's the concept. And the book is, I would say, better than the talk. <laughs> the book is brilliant, and you like the podcast. And the important thing, well, for me anyway, I feel, like, please do reach out to me. I'm not one of these people who gets millions of people like reached out to me and I can't communicate. And so many people, when I speak to them, have said they've watched the talk or listened to, uh, you know, or read the book. But, you know, I have 30 reviews on um, Amazon books for in, in the US at least. And they're great reviews, but I would reaching out and just letting me know what you found useful, even if it's the smallest thing, really is kind of that is my big marker of success for me and fulfillment. That really makes a difference for me. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time. If something was useful or impactful for you. Awesome.
1: Yeah, well, thanks so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today, Adam. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Great. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life, just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com top 12 books.